0: You are listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network.
1: Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. When Hi,
0: this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Evert, and you are listening to the
1: Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 95. Today's reading is from Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Today's reading picks up where we left off uh, last week in the Sermon on the Plain in Luke 6. And a portion of this reading was appointed for the Divine Liturgy just this past Sunday. And I don't think I'm alone in saying that I find Christ's words here to be very challenging and and maybe even unsettling, which, uh, of course, is a good thing. Uh, But these commands are quite contrary to our instincts, and so I'm hoping you can give us some uh, practical guidance today, Father. But maybe to begin, maybe you could unpack this section of Luke for us.
0: Yeah, Jason, you bring up several interesting points here. Uh, so I think I'd actually like to begin with what you said about how Jesus is teaching here, about loving our enemy, turning our cheek, giving to those who cannot repay. All of these things, as you said, are against our natural survivalist instincts. And I think that's a key feature, actually, of God's commands throughout the Bible, and a significant theme in both the Old and New Testaments.
1: So maybe you can talk about that a little more, maybe by beginning with uh, the Old Testament, and then we can move on into the New
0: Sure. So where I would begin here is with the act required in the Old Testament to be part of God's community, which was male circumcision. Now, you know, I'm sorry if this gets too graphic for some, but I think we all know and can imagine what happens when a male is circumcised. And I highlight this because it is an unnatural act. It's contrary to how the male is born naturally. And even more specifically, the act of circumcision cuts off a part of the male reproductive organ. And I don't think it's just by chance that this act, this symbolism, is what was required to show that you were part of God's community.
1: And and why do you say that, Father? What's the significance?
0: A couple of things to mention. First of all, it corresponds with this notion, this idea that you highlighted about Jesus' commands in today's reading from Luke. Specifically, that the commandments of God are contrary to nature. Father Paul Tarazi once used a term that I like to use about circumcision. It's anti-biological, and the commandments of God are often the same. Loving your enemy is anti-biological. The continuation of the species of, of humanity from a biological perspective is based on the premise that we protect ourselves and we continue our species by destroying or at least avoiding our enemies, but the Bible teaches another way, one that we've discussed, one of putting our trust in God, following His commandments, and letting Him take care of the rest. And we even touched on this last week, the significance of Jesus' teaching on the plain, Sermon on the Plain, and of Ezekiel in the open spot, and the law being given in the wilderness, out in the open, where no one but God can protect you.
1: Okay, so one important aspect of circumcision is that it's contrary to nature, uh, anti-biological, as Father Paul said. What else is important about it?
0: As I mentioned earlier, circumcision involves changing, literally cutting off a certain part of the male reproductive organ. And this seems then to invoke two important themes in the Old Testament and throughout the Bible. So first of all, that it is through God's promise and not through our own ambition that the community of God is formed and maintained. And we see that in the story of Isaac, of course, who is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham to become the father of many nations. It wasn't through Ishmael that this promise comes because Ishmael was the result of Abraham trying to take matters into his own hands. In other words, not fully trusting in God. So again, circumcision is symbolic of the fact that God's community comes through his promise and not through our own ambition.
1: And then what's the second part that you wanted to highlight as it relates to circumcision?
0: Yeah, So the second part is that no one is born a Jew, per se. No one is born a Christian. It's something that one becomes after the natural birth, so no one has a birthright to God's community. And that sort of gets us then uh, into how these ideas are picked up in the New Testament.
1: So how then is the idea of God's commandments uh, being contrary to our natural instincts then picked up in the New Testament?
0: So like I said, it corresponds with circumcision, the idea that no one is technically born a Jew They're circumcised on the eighth day. And now in the Christian community, the practice of circumcision no longer required for Gentiles, for non-Jews. And even when the Jews practice circumcision to become part of the Christian community, Jew and Gentile alike are baptized. And baptism is also an unnatural or anti-biological act. Hmm.
1: How so, Father?
0: Very similarly to what we discussed about circumcision. But unlike circumcision, where you have the physical cutting off, In baptism, you have the cutting off of sin, and then you have the act of baptism itself, which we hear from St. Paul is our death to sin so that we might arise and walk in newness of life. And this death is symbolized because in baptism, your head is placed underwater. And obviously then, if the priest doesn't raise you back up out of the water, then you die. You drown to death. So you see that in the symbolism, this idea of a death, a death to sin and arising to walk in newness of life. And then to the point that that no one is born a Christian, you have the famous saying from John's Gospel about being, quote, born again, which can also be translated as being born anew. So there's a rebirth, meaning there was that death, something that's contrary to what our nature desires, because as biological beings, we normally do everything possible to survive, to to stay alive.
1: I appreciate that insight, Father, on that uh, deep symbolism that's involved in circumcision and in baptism, and uh, connecting that to the fact that God's commandments, including those we heard today from Jesus in Luke's gospel, are contrary to our natural instincts. They are anti-biological. So to conclude today, I'd ask that, uh, ask you, Father, what should we take then from this teaching so that we might practically live this out?
0: Yeah, so let me just highlight the, the language that you used in that question. How do we live this out? Uh, because the most important aspect of Scripture is not about how we develop a theology around it, but rather how do we live? How do we behave? And in today's reading, we heard exactly how to behave that we are to be merciful just as our Father, just as God is merciful. So the importance then is, is that we behave as God behaves. And we heard Jesus teaching. He said that God is kind to both the unthankful and the evil.
1: And how do we do that? Or, or, or what are some ways that we can do that?
0: Yeah, sure. Many examples, of course, that we could give, and, and I don't think we could cover every situation. So what I, what I always try to do is to encourage people to change their mindset, to change the way that they think about things at a higher level, because then it will infiltrate all the decisions they make, all of their behaviors. So in this case, one of the things I do is to encourage people to reframe how we tend to think of being wronged, how we tend to think about people's misbehavior or people's attitudes towards us.
1: Okay, and, and how do we go about that reframing, uh, reframing of those things?
0: I think our natural tendency when someone sins against us or we see them misbehave in certain ways is to sort of wait on them to apologize or to change, to repent. Uh, we want them to ask us forgiveness.
1: Yes, uh, I'm certainly guilty of that. So, so what do you recommend that we do instead?
0: So instead of that approach, we should change our mindset and realize that the only reason that we should be kind to the unthankful, or to the sinner is because God himself is kind to them. And furthermore, God is kind and forgiving to us. We've talked about this before, right, with the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven those who trespass against us. So we cannot expect God to be merciful to us, If we are not going to be merciful to others plain and simple end of sins we can use all sorts of justifications in our mind about what a person needs to do before we're kind to them and so forth but ultimately we should be kind and merciful and forgiving only because that is the way that God himself behaves and most specifically the way that God has behaved towards us
1: one last thing father and I know you've talked about this before but I think it's good for us to hear it again In the case of grave sin, uh, you know, say someone was abused by another person, how do these things that you just said apply there?
0: Yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up, because in this world, unfortunately, there are situations uh, like that where a person may never fully be able to reconcile with someone because... Uh, the sin that that person committed against them was so grievous that it, it puts them back in harm's way. Or it may just be you know, psychologically and emotionally too difficult or impractical. And in those situations, I always try to advise a, a few things. Uh, first, I, I encourage the person to try to forgive the abuser, to work through the trauma, to hope that, that this person, this abuser, will change and repent and will get the help that they need. To wish good things in, instead of evil things on the abuser, even if you cannot uh, still have any sort of relationship with them, and then uh, to not try to retaliate in an evil way, like Jesus said here in the, in this reading, uh, that is turning the other cheek, not repaying evil for evil, or else you know we get into this vicious cycle of evil doing, and then finally uh, to recognize that as as long as you do not forgive a person, an abuser even, as long as you hold on to the anger against them, that person is still to a degree controlling your life. So it's always best if we often, you know, we need professional help, spiritual help, but if we can work to the point where we forgive even an abuser, recognizing that forgiveness frees us to live our lives no longer dominated by a person who sinned against us. And this is applicable, of course, also even in less serious cases. I remember, in fact, my father confessor told me once that anger is punishing yourself for someone else's sin. When I realized that, it really helped me work towards forgiveness to recognize that anger against another person ultimately only hurts me, allowed them to control my life instead of allowing myself and my behavior to be controlled by this merciful
1: God we heard about here in Luke chapter 6. Thank you, Father. Today's reading from Luke six presented numerous commands that stand in sharp contrast to our natural instincts. And helping us better understand this teaching from the Sermon on the Plain, Father Aaron began by recalling the Old Testament act of circumcision, which was a requirement to become part of God's community. This command of God is contrary to nature and could be called, as Father Paul Tarazi says, anti-biological. While this is easily understood through the physical aspect of circumcision. This is also true with other commandments of God, such as loving your enemy. This command opposes our natural instinct of survival and points to the biblical teaching of placing our trust in God. From this, we can see that circumcision is symbolic of the fact that God's community comes through His promise and not through our own ambition. Circumcision also points to the fact that no one is born a Jew, nor is anyone born a Christian, It is something one becomes after their natural birth, which means that no one has a birthright to God's community. And as Christians, through baptism, we also see another unnatural act, our death to sin. From this death to sin, we are born anew and rise to walk in newness of life. We then concluded with the practical applications of our reading, and Father Aaron encouraged us to reframe how we think of others' sins against us. Rather than expecting an apology or waiting for them to ask our forgiveness, we should be kind, merciful, and forgiving. Why must we take this approach? Because this is the way God behaves toward us. Thank you for listening
0: to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode.
1: Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia glory to thee, O oh God. Alleluia, 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 glory to thee, O God, O our God and our hope.